0: Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting Presents Video Nasty Andy It's your main man Andy Gillard here Hope everyone's keeping well in the world right now So the point of this little spin-off podcast that I'm doing here uh, You regular Cage Fighting listeners will know that I have a love of the horror genre And last month's dive into more horror themed episodes Really made me want to do this mini spin-off series from the main podcast to discuss a particular area of horror when it comes to my choice of horror i generally go for the b-movies and bloodbaths the trashier side of things we'll say and the video nasties list is probably the trashiest and most exploitation heavy madness that you can get within the horror genre so this spin-off is going to be watching discussing reviewing that particular era of cinema history Over the past few months, we've seen a release of a couple of movies which have really got me thinking about censorship and the Video Nasties list. Hence the title Video Nasty Andy. Which, to be perfectly honest, I might change. I'm painfully aware that Video Nasty Andy does make it sound like I'm going to be watching porn. And for those of you who are tuning in for that, I can only apologise Cage fighting is saving that for Sex Pest Stew or Masturbation 101 with Matt. As I said, 2021 has seen a couple of films released which have sparked this interest. The first is Prano Bailey Bond's Censor. I think this is available to rent and buy in most places. Now, if you're a fan of 70s flecked horror, I would well advise you to check this film out. It's a really interesting dive into that particular world. And the second film is the film which I wanted to discuss on this podcast. And that is Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. There was me, that is Alex. And my three droogs, that is Pete, Georgie and Dim. And we sat in the Kurova Milk Bar trying to make up our dogs What to do with the evening. The Kurova Milk Bar sold Milk Plus... Which is what we were drinking. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old ultraviolence. Hi 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 there, my little droogies. <laughs> the evening's the great time, isn't it, Alex Bond? He's enterprising, aggressive, young, bold, vicious. He'll do. All on earth could that be? Now it was lovely music that came to my aid. A bit of the old Ludwig van. Biddy well, little brother. Biddy well. Okay, so A Clockwork Orange wasn't actually on the video nasties list, but it's often felt that that was the start of the slide into moral decay, which led to the rise of Mary Whitehouse, the National Viewers and Listeners Association, and the beginning of heavier censorship within the UK. Uh, This subsequently led to A Clockwork Orange eventually being banned. But that's not quite the whole story. So the film was released on the 13th of January, 1972. In the States, it was given an X rating. And apparently this is seen as a death sentence to films in the United States. So Kubrick made 30 seconds worth of edits to some sexually explicit material in order to get an R rating. So for those of us outside of the US, an X rating is a film which absolutely nobody under the age of 18 can see. And this has now been replaced with an NC-17. Whereas an R rating is for nobody under the age of 18 unless you're accompanied by an adult. Like, I don't see how that's better. Like, if you're you're not going to ask your mommy and daddy to take you to go and see some horrific film when you're 16 years old. I don't understand how an X rating is so much worse than an R rating. If I was 16, I'd rather not go and see it than go and see a film with my parents. That just seems bizarre to me. But the UK censors, they didn't see a need for any of those edits, so it was passed completely unedited. But the controversy happened shortly after. The reason this film is often mistaken as a video nasty is because it was banned from cinemas. But it wasn't a BBFC edict. It was actually Kubrick who requested that Warner Brothers pulled this film from the cinemas in 1973. There was public outcry in the UK. The authorities believed that the scenes of a strong sexual violence to be extreme following an unnamed 14-year-old boy who had killed his classmate. The prosecution in that case pointed to a macabre relevance between the film and the case. Now, even in the modern day with the world of the internet, I've not been able to find any more details on that particular case, which does make me wonder how true it actually is. Uh, There was also a case of a 16-year-old boy who stated that he killed a homeless man after merely hearing about a clockwork orange. And finally, there was a case of a gang rape in which the attackers changed the words from singing in the rain to singing in the rape. Obviously that song is very closely associated with the rape scene in A Clockwork Orange. Needless to say, when it comes to the general public and anecdotes such as these, the crazies come out of the woodwork. I mean, we live in a country where a group of people attacked someone because they were a paediatrician, for fuck's sake. The decision to pull the film from cinemas was made ...following police advice... ...after Kubrick and his family... ...had been receiving death threats... ...from the general public. I mean, is there anything more backwards... ...than considering yourself... ...to be the arbiter of society's... ...moral consciousness... ...than threatening to kill someone? Like the leaping logic... ...that you must need... ...to go from thinking... ...this film will corrupt people... ...and they may kill and rape people... ...after seeing it... ...to thinking... In order to stop that from happening, I'm going to kill this person. Like, to quote Alanis Morissette, isn't it ironic? Kubrick even said so himself. The people who commit a violent crime are not ordinary people who are transformed into vicious thugs by the wrong diet of films or TV. Rather, it is a fact that violent crime is invariably committed by people with a long record of antisocial behaviour or by the unexpected blossoming of a psychopath who is described afterwards as being such a nice quiet boy. Either way, immensely complicated social, economical and psychological forces are involved. And the simplistic notion that film and TV can transform an otherwise innocent and good person into a criminal has strong overtones of the Salem witch trials. Do you know anything about dreams? Do you know what they mean? Perhaps. I've been having this very nasty dream. Very nasty. It's like um, when I was all smashed up, you know, and, and half awake and unconscious, like I kept having this dream, and you know, like all these doctors were playing around with me, Gulliver, you know, like the inside of my brain. I seem to have this dream over and over again. Do you think it means anything? So, A Clockwork Orange was banned from viewing in Britain from 1973 up until the death of Stanley Kubrick in 1999. This is where your humble host comes into the story. Christmas 2000 was when I first viewed this movie. I was bought a DVD player, which I still have and use. It's excellent and it's region free. Like, it's really difficult to find region free. And the film geek in me loves this piece of tech. And I was bought a box set of DVDs called Best Sellers. And this contained the trio of The Matrix, Three Kings and Deep Blue Sea. And I was also given a Clockwork Orange. In retrospect, like a 17-year-old with visions of pomposity on my film opinions probably didn't fully appreciate it on first viewing. But I grew to admire this film. But as Matt has explained in previous podcasts before the lucky number eleven effect and this is for films that you may really enjoy but it's not something that you want to watch all that often and A Clockwork Orange very much fell into that category for me so until the release this autumn for its 50th birthday it could easily have been 15 years since I've last seen this film and memories can warp and fade especially over something like a 15 year period and all you were left with are the highlights of the movie And after being doing a little bit of reading for this podcast, it appears that a lot of people only really know this film for its highlights. The ultra-violence, the beating, the rape, the murder. Yet they've made icons out of these characters. Even the most recent Space Jam sequel that was out this summer, there's a scene where LeBron traverses through the Warner Brothers cinematic history. And in the crowd is Alex and the Droogs. Like a film which caused uproar because the characters beat raped and murdered and now fair for a animated film like pitched at children like it just seems really odd that this is the life that a clockwork orange has become not feeling too bad no are you Uh, no sir feel really great sir good was it all right sir Did I do well, sir? Fine, my boy, absolutely fine. But as I said, weirdly, this film feels like one that most people know, but maybe haven't seen. Like, its infamy precedes it. It seems like a lot of people know it because of the murder and rape at the beginning of the film. Like, the ultraviolence is obviously what has stolen the headlines over the years. Even doing a bit of research for this podcast, typing in onto Google, Clockwork Orange Killer brings up stories from national newspapers drawing admittedly shitty comparisons between A Clockwork Orange and from murders or gang gang issues which may still be going on. And these stories are still coming out within the last 10 years or so. But the weird thing for the film is that in only remembering it for the first act, you're doing it as a disservice. The final two acts are so much more interesting than that first one. However, that first act is probably the most marketable. How many fancy dress parties have you been to where you've seen someone who is dressed as a droog? So going to the cinema, knowing this now, that Alex and his mates were now considered acceptable to star alongside Bugs Bunny, I did wonder if A Clockwork Orange would now be the type of film that's aged like fine milk. Like, is it still going to have that impact and message that it once had? And I've got to say, for me personally, the answer was a resounding yes, it absolutely did. So the film begins with Alex and his droogs drinking at Moloco Plus and participating in ultra-violence and a bit of the old in-out, in-out. After a leadership struggle, his droogs turn on Alex, leaving him to take the rap for a murder of the Cat Lady. But what follows after that point is a story about crime and punishment, violence and retribution, vengeance and revenge... It's a satire on the state of Britain on the seventies, but it wouldn't feel out of place if it were made today. Like you can still read it as a satire on the nature of society as we now see things. Like police thuggery, problems within the criminal justice system, underclasses being used and abused, the government of the day using their mistakes to now score points with the public, hoping that no one can see through their paper thin veneer. A loss of free will, decisions forced and forged ahead with, without a care for any of the consequences that follow. This film hits so much harder than I expected for something 50 years old. Maybe to its detriment, like the only real critique I can level against it, is the message is a little bit heavy-handed at times. However, a lack of subtlety didn't stop Joker from becoming the the number one box office R-rated movie of all time with over a billion dollars. But I guess that's just personal taste, to be honest. How about another joke, Murray? No, I think we've had enough of your jokes. What do you get? I don't think so. When you cross a mentally ill with, with a it. society that abandons him and takes him like trash! Call the police, I'll See? tell you what you call get! Call the police! You get what you fucking deserve! In terms of the video nasties list and the rise of Mary Whitehouse and her clan, whilst it predated the rise of it, it doesn't take a genius to see why it's lumped in with those movies. A search of audience review shows a number of people, even to this very day, condemning this film as a glorification of crime. However, if you take that first act out of this film, this isn't a glorification of crime, it's a glorification of punishment. Whether you feel that punishment is just or not is open to debate, but this is a film about a man who did a acts, went to jail and had his free will removed. That's what it boils down to. The choices he now makes, they're not his own, becoming a clockwork orange, if you will. To the extent that it even took away the only part of beauty in his life, that of music, and in particular Ludwig van Beethoven. Whilst I feel this spin-off podcast may dredge the depths of dirge with some of the films associated with the Video Nasties list, this one certainly doesn't. Like This is a film with heft, with meaning, and with a real weight to it. The direction is sublime, the scripting is near perfect. Keeping the use of Nadsat from the novel, that's the teenage bastardization of Slavic and Cockney rhyming slang, making it feel both otherworldly but also uncomfortably recognisable. Almost making you feel like an unwitting participant in the goings-on. But best of all for this film, that would be the acting of Malcolm McDowell. Like, the entire film hinges on how you feel about this boy. You need to hate him, pity him, want him to die, but also want him to win. You need to be repulsed by him, but attracted to him. That duality is not an easy thing to pull off, but I thought that McDowell did it with aplomb in this movie. He was exceptional. As you know, we at Cage Fighting, we're here to answer the big questions in the film. I suppose the only question you can ask about A Clockwork Orange is it is it worth seeing? To which I would say 100%. This is a complex film about duality and the opposing natures within humanity. Both at a societal level and within people in themselves. I think it's it's such an important movie and it is a cultural touchstone. I mean it's a film that was banned for 30 years that is now watching LeBron James play basketball with Daffy Duck. It's an important movie, and I do think that it demands attention. And weirdly, it's a film without genre. You could view it as a sci-fi or a horror or a drama. I mean, there's even an element of satirical comedy to it. In the binary nature of how we rate films on this podcast, did I enjoy it, did I not? I absolutely did. And it's probably one of the rare films where I don't think Nick Cage would have improved it, to be perfectly honest. I'm going to have you fired. That's the first episode of this podcast done. I'm hoping to make this spin-off series a monthly thing. I've got a few ideas for the next few months. But if there are any films or topics that you want me to have a look at, and if you don't know the email address by now, it's cagefightingpod at gmail.com. And of course, our Twitter is at cagefightingpod. So please make sure that you're subscribed and following us. For all of your cage fighting film news, silly and serious questions and of course, all of the Nick Cage nonsense that goes along with it. So for this inaugural episode of Cage Fighting Presents Video Nasty Andy, it's your main man signing out and remember, be excellent to each other.